Welcome to Hacking Your ADHD, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, William Kerb, and I have ADHD. On this podcast, I dig into the tools, tactics, and best practices to help you work with your ADHD brain. Last week, our episode was about habits and how small changes to our routines can have a big impact. We learned how we don't need to focus on building discipline and how when we're forming our habits, we tend to follow the path of least resistance. We also looked at how we could use automated processes to jumpstart our habits. This week, we're going to be looking at ways that we can get our phones to work better with our ADHD. I've been carrying around a smartphone in my pocket for more than 10 years. I started off with the first iPhone and have since gone over to Android, dabbled with the Windows phone for a few years, and then ended back up with the iPhone again. Through the years with my phone, I've learned that it can be a great asset and help me with a number of my ADHD difficulties. However, I've also felt the dark side of the phone as well. Games, social media, email, and all those notifications can take their toll. ADHD makes it really easy for us to get off track, so we want to make sure that we're not letting our phones dictate our next actions. Through trial and error, phone designers have been making it harder and harder for us to put down our phones. Since we have ADHD, this means that it's almost too easy for us to get distracted when we pop open our phone just to check the time. The screen lights up, and suddenly we're hit with a hundred different ways our attention should go. It's enough that sometimes I wish I could just get rid of the thing. But my precious... Bad Gollum impressions aside, I know there are a lot of legitimate reasons for keeping your phone, and I'm not advocating giving yours up. While I was working on this episode, I realized that I had a lot more to say about phones than I thought I did, so this episode has been split into two parts. This week we'll be focusing on ways to set up our phone to be less distracting. We're going to work on setting up our phones intentionally to make sure that we're paying attention to what apps we have on our phone and how we interact with those apps. We'll also be looking at other ways to reduce the constant stream of distractions that our phones can produce. In part two next week, we'll focus on ways that we can use our phones to help with our ADHD, and I'll give you a rundown of my favorite apps. If you'd like to follow along on the show notes page, you can find that at hackingyouradhd.com slash ADHD phone. Keep on listening to find out how you can get the most out of your phone. We're going to start off by taking a look at what's on our phone. A quick gander tells me that I have 183 apps installed on my phone. For my screen time app, which we'll talk a little bit about later, I can see that I used 38 of them last week, and a majority of those apps I only used for a few minutes. We all have apps that we use most on our phones, but for now, we're going to look at those apps that I didn't use. Because if I'm only using 38 of those 183 apps on my phone, what are those other 140 apps doing there? To see how many apps you have on your phone will differ depending on what type of phone you have. For the iPhone, go to Settings, then General, then click About, and then look for a line that says Applications that will show you how many apps you have installed. For Android, head over to your Google Play dashboard at google.com slash settings and scroll down to the Play Store section, and you can see your total number of apps. Clutter is one of those things that defines so many of us with ADHD. And what we're looking at right now on our phones is digital clutter. I know that I'll often browse the App Store for a particular app, but along the way, I'll download two, maybe three other ones, because they look cool. Okay, I'll be honest. It's usually more like five to seven, and sometimes higher. And sure, I tell myself that I'll find time to go and look back at these apps later, but that rarely actually happens. The clutter builds up quickly. 
You may be asking, so what? It isn't like digital clutter is actually taking up any real space on my phone. And that's true. You could have a thousand apps on your phone and it would take up as much physical space as my 157 apps. Yeah, that's right. After I looked up the number the first time, I went and deleted 26 apps on my phone because I got a little distracted while I was writing. The point here is that it creates clutter that makes it harder to use your phone. They take up mental space when we're looking for our phone. They make it harder to find what we're looking for, and they make it a lot harder to organize what's on our phone. It's time for a purge. First, we're going to open up our phone and look for the apps that we've never even opened and delete those first. But, but, I wanted to check that one out, you may say. Okay, fair. You can keep it, but only if you go and schedule time that you're going to go check it out. And I mean really schedule it. Put it in your calendar. Add that on Sunday you're going to be looking at your new meal prep app. Give yourself the time you actually need to try it out. I'm sure I've downloaded and deleted plenty of apps that would have improved my life had I given them the time to actually set them up. But if I never actually check them out, they don't need to be on my phone. Next, we're going to delete apps that we don't use anymore. I had an entire folder of apps labeled Focus that I hadn't opened in months. And you know what? All those apps did was make me feel guilty for not using them. They were great when I used them, but my workflow has changed and I don't need them anymore, so into the trash they go. The hardest apps to delete from this category are the ones that you've paid for. Because here you get that sunk cost fallacy, where because you already put the money in, you feel like you've just got to keep it. But really, if you aren't using it, and you can't realistically see yourself using it in the future, then there is really no point in keeping it around. If you do end up needing it in the future, you can always re-download it. Finally, we've got to examine one last category, and those are our time wasters. These are the apps that suck you in and don't give you anything back. These are mostly going to be social media and games. Let me start off by saying that you don't have to delete all of these. We're going to be looking at some screen time restrictions in a bit that can help with these, but I think it's still a good idea to take a look at which of these apps you might want to get rid of. There are things on our phones that we know we just shouldn't have. I once played the game 2048 for three hours straight. I would have played longer if my battery hadn't run out. Games like that are easily something I just shouldn't have on my phone. I also got rid of any games that I was just opening too frequently. These tend to be the ones that required me to at least log in once a day to get those daily bonuses, or require me to log in several times a day to get the best bonus. I'm a real sucker for trying to maximize my gameplay. This doesn't mean that I don't have any games on my phone. Occasionally I like to be able to have a short distraction. Currently, I'm playing a puzzle game called Picture Cross. I'm okay with this one because it's something that I can just put down whenever I need to, and it isn't going to completely pull me in. You may choose to have no games on your phone, or you may have a couple that really work for you. You've got to decide what works best for you. If you're finding yourself heading to the restroom and spending 30 minutes each visit because of a particular app, maybe uninstall that app. Or, if you can't bring yourself to uninstall it yet, maybe make it a rule about no phones in the bathroom. The reason we wanted to start with our app purge is that it makes this next part easier. First, we want to start organizing our phone so that when we pick it up, we're not tempted into doing things that we're not supposed to be doing. On my first page of apps, I currently have four apps, not including my app bar that has my camera, phone, messaging, and calendar app on it. These are the four apps that I want to encourage myself to use more. My first app is Notion, which I use for my to-do list and my planning. Next is Medium, which I use for reading. And then I have Drafts for taking notes. And finally, I have my Reminders app. The point here is that you want the starting point on your phone to have the apps that help you the most. 
If I had Twitter on my homepage, it's more than likely that I'd be tempted to open up Twitter every time I unlocked my phone. Remember, we're trying to make our phones work for us here, so we want to design the experience we have when we pick up our phones and look for an app. Is that experience one that is going to lead us to distraction, or is it going to be able to keep us on task? As for our other apps, there are a number of different ways that we can approach how to organize them. I like to organize my apps by the utility that they serve and put them into folders. That way, I can move the apps I want to use more frequently closer to my homepage and the ones like games and social media further in the back of my pages. After my first page, I have apps that I still want to have quick access to. So things like my podcast app, my sleep apps, and my photos. After that, I have a page with a lot of my tools. These are all in folders, so apps like ordering food, writing, and also the apps I have there just for my kids. Finally, I have a fourth page that has my games, my social media, and my other entertainment apps. The whole idea here is that if it's out of sight, it's out of mind. If I want to look for a time waster app, I have to really be looking for it. And pro tip here, on the iPhone, you can swipe down and open up a search menu that will allow you to quickly type in the app name and open it from there. Great for when you can't remember where you put your Chipotle app, but really need that burrito. And double pro tip, you can disable the search from being able to find things like Instagram so that you really do have to work at getting to those apps you want to limit. Now that we're nice and organized, let's talk a little bit about alarm fatigue. The easiest way to think of alarm fatigue is the story of the boy who cried wolf. When we hear alarms over and over again throughout the day, they start losing their meaning, especially if all the alarms aren't that important. I remember years ago, I'd always answer my phone if it rang, even if I didn't recognize the number. But in the last few years, I've been so inundated by spam calls that if I don't recognize the number, I rarely answer. My brain has been trained that answering my phone usually doesn't have a payout. When we've got too many pings and dings going on with our phones, we start losing the signal of the important ones because of all the noise. The first thing that we're going to want to do with our phones is to start disabling all those notifications. On both iOS and Android, you have the option of turning off all of your notifications, although you're probably going to want to still have some notifications like text messages. Since this can be a little bit of a complex process, I'm not going to go over it in the podcast, but I'll link up articles on how to do this for both phones on the show notes page at hackingyouradhd.com slash phone. The question you're going to want to ask yourself is which notifications are you going to want to be receiving? You should be turning off notifications from things like social media, games, email, and anything that just pings you for no reason. And that's pretty much going to be most of your notifications. The notifications I do have on are for text messages, both of my reminder apps, my calendar app, and also an app that I have that reminds me to drink water throughout the day, because, you know, I forget to do that. And that's about it. There are a couple travel apps that I leave on, but they don't usually ping me unless it's actually important. And if they ever start do pinging me for unimportant things, I'll be sure to just turn those off. What we want to make sure is that we're getting rid of all those notifications that aren't actually useful for us. Those notifications direct our attention, and so we want to make sure that we're only getting the ones we actually want so that we're not falling into alarm fatigue. While I appreciate getting texts from friends, I don't necessarily want to be getting texts all day long while I'm trying to concentrate on work. I also don't need my phone digging when I'm trying to record a podcast. Exactly like that. So, I frequently make use of the Do Not Disturb feature on my phone. There are a lot of Do Not Disturb settings that can make it even more useful. I like setting up certain times of day that my phone automatically goes into Do Not Disturb so that I won't forget to set it before I start working on something. 
but I also don't want to make myself completely unreachable in case there is an emergency with my kids, so I also have it set to let my wife's call through and also repeat phone calls through. And while we're talking about disabling notifications, we should also be looking at limiting the number of badges that we see on our phone. You may ask, what's a badge? Well, it's just that little red dot in the corner of an app telling you that it has some kind of message that you need to check. When you're turning off your notifications, you should have the option to also turn off badges. And I'd highly recommend doing that because badges are just another way to draw our attention when we open up our phones. Those little red circles are designed to draw our eyes. And when we see that we have 247 unread emails, it's only going to make us feel guilty. And we're going to get the same effect from alarm fatigue and just ignore those as well. Both iOS and now Android devices have a baked-in screen time tracker for their OSs. Screen time on iOS and on the latest Android OS, digital well-being. And I'll be very honest here, at this point I don't know that much about digital well-being, so I'm mostly going to be talking about Apple's screen time. But the lessons here should apply to both. The first obvious bonus of using screen time tracking is that you can find out how much you really are using your phone. It's probably a lot more than you think, because every time you pick it up for 15 minutes throughout the day adds up. The tracker can also show you how many times you've unlocked your phone throughout the day, and then what your first app that you've used after you've unlocked your phone. Looking at my score from last week, I had a total of 555 pickups with an average of 79 per day, and my most opened app was my messaging app. So apparently, I mostly use my phone for texting. I'm okay with that. My second most common first opened app is Twitter. I'm less okay with that. So that probably means I have something to work on there. While seeing the trends you have for use on your phone is important, an even better feature here is that you can set screen time limits on your phone. You can do this either through categories or through specific apps. You'll have to decide which approach is best for you. But if, say, you decide to have a 30-minute limit for Facebook, a 30-minute limit for Instagram, and a 30-minute limit for Twitter, then you've really given yourself an hour and a half pass on social media. I'm not going to tell you if that's too much or not, but I know for me that probably would be. At the same time, you want to be realistic with your limits, so spend some time figuring out what a good amount would actually be for yourself, and don't worry if you get it wrong. You can always change it. I've also got my phone set to start locking itself down at 7.30pm so that I can be sure that I'm getting off my phone at night. But that's so early! And, yeah, it is. But, what am I really doing with my phone after 7.30 that's important? I don't want to be working at that time of night, and so usually I'm just scrolling TikTok for way too long. I've got other things I want to do in my evening that I don't really need my phone for. After my kids go to bed is usually the only time I have alone with my wife, and I'd rather spend that time actually being present with her than spending it mindlessly on my phone. On that note, I'd like to suggest another idea, which I've been thinking about implementing for myself, which is that when you set up these time restrictions, they're going to ask you to create a password so that when you hit that time restriction, you can ask for additional time. This is a great way to create some resistance from just staying on an app forever, but as someone that has a little difficulty with impulse control, it's really easy to just pop that password in and keep going on whatever I was doing. So what we can do here is have someone that we trust set up that password so that we don't know it. And I'm not suggesting this lightly, because I understand giving up control of your phone can be very anxiety-inducing. But if you're having trouble staying within the screen limits that you've set, this is a great way to make it even harder to get around them. Just don't set it so that your phone locks you out of important features when you might not have that person around. Thanks for sticking with me all the way to the end. I hope you got a lot out of today's episode, and if you did, I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a rating and review on your podcast player. 
Before you go though, let's do a quick rundown of today's top tips. One, purge any apps you don't need on your phone, both unused apps and also apps that pull too much of your focus. Two, organize your apps so that your most useful apps are easy to open and your distracting apps are hidden. Three, turn off most of your notifications and make sure to use your do not disturb feature. And four, check out your phone's screen time features and set up some sensible restrictions on how much time you're spending on your phone. That's it. Thanks for listening. I'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. You can reach me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HackingYourADHD, or you can connect with me over at HackingYourADHD.com contact. If you'd like links from this episode or to read this episode's transcript, you can go to the show notes page at HackingYourADHD.com ADHDphone. If you're this far into the end of the show, you might also like to know that on the second Tuesday of every month at 10 a.m. Pacific, I join the other members of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network for a live Q&A. Eric Tivers of ADHD Rewired and Brendan Mahan of ADHD Essentials. Go to ADHDrewired.com events. The next one is coming up on February 11th. It's been a pleasure, and until next time, stay curious. Stay curious.